Morning, everybody. Welcome to worship this morning. I have just a couple of announcements for you before we get underway with our service today. Uh, This will be the last week of the Bakery District class for the spring. Uh, It'll be Wednesday at 10 o'clock. In a clever bit of marketing, the Bakery District class will not be at the Bakery District, but instead will be downstairs in the Fellowship Hall uh, this coming Wednesday. As you can see, there's quite a bit of food arrayed in front of us today. Uh, This is food that was collected uh, by the children of the church in their Sunday school. They were learning about feeding Jesus' sheep. They handed out 50 bags to the congregation, and you got pretty close. So good job. Uh, This food will be distributed between Antioch and Community Services Clearinghouse. So it'll go directly into the community. And then tonight is First Sunday Supper. We will have dinner at 5 o'clock. If you would like to help, we would love to have you. Uh, It's chicken spaghetti night, which is always a popular one on the First Sunday Supper calendar. So anyway, if you want to help, you're more than welcome to come really any time starting at uh, 3.30. If you really have a hankering to move tables and chairs, then this is definitely your event, and we'll see you about 5.45. All right, with all that in mind, let us prepare our hearts for the worship of Almighty God. Our call to worship is from Psalm 31. In you, O Lord, I seek refuge. Do not let me ever be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me, rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. You are indeed my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Take me out of the net that is hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. 
You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Let us pray. Lord, on this first day of your new creation, on this holy day, we offer our praise to you. We offer our thanksgiving as well for the opportunity to come to this sanctuary and to worship your name. In our hymns and singing, in our prayers and speaking, in our silences and our listening, Lord, may you be glorified. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. As we continue our worship of Almighty God, we confess our sin, trusting that we confess it before the throne of grace. Please join me in our call in our prayer of confession. It is printed in your bulletin and on your screen. Holy, merciful, and powerful God, today we pray for your mercy. We have sinned against you and against one another. We have exchanged fidelity to Christ for the idols of this world. We have sought treasure on earth rather than heaven. We have chosen to tell lies rather than speak the truth. We have instigated conflict instead of seeking peace. Today we seek your grace in our lives once more. We pray that you would shape us, heal us, and forgive us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. 
How can we come to this table and not remember who sat at the table the first time? It was close friends who would soon betray and deny. Close friends who would soon sin. And yet, Jesus welcomed them to the table. He forgave them, even from the cross. Know that this is the host of this table, Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of your life. And he welcomes sinners, and he forgives them of their sin. Know that by his power and work in your life, you are forgiven of your sin. And now be people of peace. Amen. Let's sing to God's glory. You may be seated. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's a new pulpit, Mike. So we're going to see how this goes. I apologize in advance if I talk too loudly. Anyway, uh, we're going to take a look this morning at Proverbs first, and then we will continue uh, to share readings from 1 Corinthians. So this is Proverbs chapter 4, verses 10 through 18. Hear, my child, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction, do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of evildoers. Avoid it, do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of the dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And now 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23-34. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also, after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. 
Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. Examine yourselves and only eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For all who eat and drink without discerning the body eat and drink judgment against themselves. For this reason, many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If you are hungry, eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for your condemnation. About the other things, I will give instruction when I come. This is the word of the Lord. So a young girl was sitting in church, not this church, and it was some time ago, and there was a tradition that had developed in her family. Every time they had communion in church, her father would lean over and whisper to her one verse from the passage I just read to you, and it was this. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. Every time her father said this to her, her eyes got big, and she offered a very hastily constructed prayer of confession, trying to cover every sin she had ever committed before communion was passed to her, lest she bring down God's judgment upon herself for polluting the elements at the table. Now, I'm not entirely sure that this is the way we want to go about preparing children to come to the table. We don't want it necessarily to be a source of mortal fear. And I would love to speak ill of the Father, I really would, but I can't, because he was just one in a long procession of people within the church who have done everything we can to mess up the sacrament of communion. We have a long history of making this table not a cause of celebration, but a source of suffering or division or arrogance. We've done it all. Let me give you a little history lesson. For centuries, centuries, not decades, not years, not months, centuries, Lay people in the Catholic Church were not allowed to have the cup at communion. They could have the bread, they could not have the cup. Why? Because clumsy lay people might spill the cup and thus spill the blood of Jesus himself on the floor, and then where would the church be? Imagine going through your whole life, seeing the communion liturgy happening in front of you, watching the cup get poured, watching the priest drink of the cup, and then never over the course of your life being allowed to hold it. But wait, there's more. If we think it's just a Catholic problem, we can consider our own Reformed history. After the Reformation, churches wouldn't have communion every week, that was too Catholic, so we would have it every once in a while. But we quickly discovered that people only came to church when there was communion. So we came up with the novel idea of communion tokens. 
Imagine if you gathered here this morning and had not attended worship frequently enough over the past weeks and months to earn the requisite number of tokens and therefore were not allowed to partake of the table while your fellow congregants came forward later in the service for cup and for bread. No, you had to be here every week, and not only be here every week, you had to do good deeds in order to earn the necessary communion tokens to be able to gather around the table. Still and yet, in our own community, there are congregations which only allow confirmed members of their own congregation to come to the communion table. The danger, of course, is that if you have bad theology, you will somehow pollute the congregation as they gather around the communion table. In my own life, I have had difficulties in Presbyterian churches during the time of communion. When I was in seminary, I worked at a church in the north side of Austin. This was my final year of seminary. And every Sunday that they had communion, I would dread worship. Why? Because it was the most stupefyingly boring, dull, and lifeless liturgy I have ever sat through in my entire life. Have you ever been to a funeral for somebody that nobody really liked? If you have, then you have experienced the communion liturgy at this particular congregation. The pastor would stand before the table, drone on and on, reading the longest prayer from the Presbyterian Book of Common Worship without any hint of care, passion, concern, or belief behind his words. The congregation would lifelessly pass trays to one another. It was so bad, it actually disrupted my faith and led to one of the all-time embarrassing moments for me which I'm not going to tell in the sermon, but if you're very nice to Tasha, I'm pretty sure she'll tell you the story after church. I say all this to share with you that the church's history of doing the sacrament of communion well is not good. But all of our failings pale, as they usually do, in comparison to the failings of the Corinthian church. There's a famous Lutheran pastor. Her name is Nadia Bowles Weber. Some of you may have heard of her. She's very popular. She was the pastor for some time at a church in Denver, and it grew significantly while she was the pastor there. And every time people would join the church, one of the things she would say to them, unironically, was this, I just need you to know we will disappoint you. It was a fair and honest statement. And it's one that should have been chiseled in whatever sanctuary the Corinthian church worshipped in. Come in, worship with us, but remember, we will disappoint you. If you listened carefully to the words that Paul wrote to them here in this passage from the 11th chapter, you can feel not just disappointment, but deep, deep hurt and anger about what is happening in the Corinthian church. And it's hard to understand. This is one of those times in Scripture where it would be really helpful to us if you didn't have to know history and context, but you do. In order for this to make sense and in order to understand why Paul was really angry, I'm going to have to tell you a little bit about what was happening in the Corinthian church. Now, just a reminder, Paul wrote this letter in 54 AD, 54 AD, so approximately 
that congregation was as close in their history to Easter Sunday as you and I are to September 11th, right? So this is very, very early in the history of the church. I always feel the need to remind you of how early this is. There's no orthodoxy, there's no common practice, nothing. Everybody's figuring it out on the fly. Now, when the Corinthian church was formed, it was formed in the midst of the Roman Empire, and the Romans liked their social stratification. They liked their hierarchy. At the very top were property-owning patrician men, and at the very bottom were slaves from outside of the empire. And everywhere else in there, people slotted in. In this very rigid hierarchy, it was very hard to move up and down, except within this new thing called the Christian church. The church was different. Their worship service was organized around a meal. They would come in and they would sit together and they would eat together. The center part of that meal was communion. They would sing songs. They would tell stories about Jesus. Somebody might share a prophecy. And around that table sat people from different religious backgrounds and ethnicities, sat men and women, sat slaves and free people. You know that passage from Galatians chapter 3, in Christ there is neither slave nor free, neither Jew nor Greek, neither male nor female? Paul's describing the shape of their worship service. And that worship service stood in stark contrast to the society that all of them were familiar with. So during the entire course of the week, they would see each other in these rigidly refined roles but then, for that one moment each week, when they gathered around the table, they would all gather as equals. It was a radical way of existing in that time and place. It's still fairly remarkable now in our time and place. So that's how they did it. But, of course, this being Corinth, they couldn't do it that way. If you're going to get together, you didn't have a church sanctuary like this, so if you're going to get together, where are you going to get together? You're going to get together in the biggest house of any member of the congregation. And who has the biggest house in the congregation? It's the richest person in the congregation. And so they would open up their house for hosting, and they would lay out food and wine for everybody as they came to the meals. And guess who arrived first? It was the other wealthiest people. Why? They had the most downtime. They weren't in any great hurry. They could show up early for church. And so they would show up early for church, and all the food would be laid out, and the wine would be lined up, and they would be like, you know what? Let's just go ahead. We can, we can eat. I'm hungry. Let's go, let's go ahead and start. And so they would start eating, and they would start drinking, and who would show up last? at church. It was the poorest people. It was the people with no free time, the people who had to work every minute to earn their bread. It was the people with absolutely no flexibility. They were the last ones to come. And do you know what was happening in Corinth when they showed up for worship or when they showed up to sit around the table and partake of communion? Do you know what was happening? They would show up and all the food had been eaten and everybody there was drunk. That's what was happening. And so Paul was angry. And he talks to them. He talks to them about desecrating the body. 
When he talks to them about desecrating the body, he's being very specific here. He's talking about it in both senses. Is he talking about just the body of Jesus or just the body of Jesus as believers? No, he's talking about both. Now, listen, I hate math, but the best example I can give you is kind of mathy, so stick with me. You got a vertical axis here, right? That's your relationship with God. You got a horizontal axis here. That's your relationship with one another. Communion is about both things. It is about our relationship with God, but it's also about our relationship with one another. And what Paul was trying to tell them is that those two things are correlated with each other. They're related to each other. Paul's belief was that it was not possible for us to have a strong and deep faith without having a strong and loving relationship with each other. There was no way for us to be a healthy, functioning, vibrant Christian community if we didn't have a deep and abiding faith in Jesus. The two things are inextricably linked, and the place where they met most closely in the life of the church was here, at the communion table, at the place where people would set aside all social barriers, all social stigmas, all hierarchies, where they would come together and they would remember the story of who Jesus was and what he did for them, and they would eat and drink together. And in so doing, they would remember who they were. There's no way for us to separate communion from our faith in God and our relationships with one another. It is about both. It's a family meal. That's what it is. It's a family meal. Have you been to a family meal before? Yeah. Are they always great? Are they always wonderful? Is everybody always perfectly behaved? No, no, no. But yet, we continue to gather. Picture your Thanksgiving table for just a minute. All those people that are gathered there. Now imagine this. Imagine if before you gathered for Thanksgiving, you pulled all the children aside and you whispered quietly to them, you better behave or I'm going to end you. How would they experience that family meal that you shared together? Or, or imagine if one of your family members shows up at your house for Thanksgiving and you say to them, ah, hey, sorry, I can't let you in. You don't have enough tokens. You haven't called our mom enough times this year. You didn't help when our brother moved, and I'm pretty sure that you don't like me. Not enough tokens. I'm going to have to ask you to leave. Or perhaps, perhaps when we all gathered together as a family, and believe me, this might be attractive, there should be some sort of doctrinal or political test before we decide if people can sit down and eat with us. Maybe we should try that. Would that enhance our family experience together? What if we had somebody at the table read for an hour the most boring thing they could find. 
Would that build up our family? It's a family meal. And we gather around this table, we gather around this table as a family, and we're related to each other, not by blood, not even because we all just so enjoy being together. We're, we gather around this table because we all share faith in Jesus Christ. And we understand, we understand that the ways in which we relate to each other, the ways in which we care for each other, the ways in which we share and serve and live our lives of faith together, we understand that those things correlate directly to our worship and love for Jesus Christ and our faith in him. Communion, the table, is the most sacred place for us to sit down together. That's why we eat and drink as one body. That's why we don't exclude anyone who wants to sit at the table. That's why when we come before it, we're not supposed to make a perfect litany of every sin we have committed, but we are supposed to be mindful that we are sitting here with our brothers and sisters, kin to one another, not because of the blood we share, not because of our perfect belief, but because we desire and feel called to be the body of Christ in this time and in this place. Paul could have said anything to them and given them any instruction about eating together. He could have given them any teaching about communion. And all he said to them, all he said was eat at home so that you don't come hungry and wait for everybody to be there. It's our family's table. And so we gather in that way. Amen. It was on Easter evening that two disciples of Jesus met a stranger on the road. They did not recognize him, but we read that when they broke bread together, they knew that the stranger was Jesus. He is the host of this table, and it is our prayer every time we gather here that when we break the bread, we will recognize him that he is here and he is among us. Let us pray. Gracious God, we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. We pray that this meal might be a communion with your son, Jesus. Make us one family with him Make us one family with all who share this feast. It is in your holy name 
that we pray. Amen. How many times have you heard what we call the words of institution at this table? So many times. And today we remember that they come to us from Paul, from this letter to that congregation. And so I read them for us again. I have received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said to them, Take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup. He poured it out for them, and he said, This cup, it represents a new covenant, and this one is sealed with my own blood. Take and drink, and when you do, remember me. And so as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do remember him, and we celebrate our Lord's death, trusting that he comes again. We will come forward the inner aisles and take a piece of bread and a cup and return using the outer aisles. Please hold the elements and we will eat and drink together. If you would prefer to stay in your seat, we will come to you with the elements. Would the servers please come forward?
Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever believes in me will never be hungry. Jesus said, I am the true vine. Abide in me, and I abide in you. Let us pray. Lord, we give you thanks for this sacrament, for this family meal. We pray that it will be to us nourishment, that it will be to us a binding of this community, and that it will be to us a strengthening of our faith in Jesus. We give you thanks for this meal. We give you thanks that here it is the meeting place of heaven and earth, and for a few moments we can join their worship there. With our prayers, we trust that they reach all the way to you, and that if we do not even have the strength to pray, that your Holy Spirit will pray for us. So it is with that trust and that courage that we offer prayers for your world this day. There are so many places, Lord, and so many people. We pray for those who are grieving, those who are afraid, those who are ill. We offer to you this day particular prayers for Jim Walcott, and for Jane and Dexter and Jennifer. Lord, hear our prayers for this family. And we offer to you now, both in the silence of our hearts and aloud, prayers for particular people and situations. Hear our prayers. We know that right alongside our concerns, our worries, our sadness, there is such thanksgiving, Lord. We offer you thanks and praise for the many blessings in our lives. We give you thanks in particular this day for Doris's father and his continued well-being, for the blessings you have given her this week, Lord, it makes us think of all the blessings you have given each of us this week. We offer to you now our silent prayers of thanksgiving. Hear our prayers. We give you thanks, Lord, that you do not leave us orphaned and alone that you continue the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives and in the life of this community. Move in and through us this week, we pray, giving us all of the gifts we will need to serve in your world. 
It is in your name that we offer this prayer, and together we pray as we have been taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. There is an offering basket at the front if you would like to give following worship. For now, this music is an offering to the glory of God.
please remain standing, but I'm gonna call Will and Wyatt and Mike and Mark and Rose. Would you guys come down, please? We're gonna pray for this food in our service today. Come on down. They gave out 50 sacks to you guys, and I don't know if you spent the morning counting, but it's really close. It's really close to 50 sacks. Half is going to Antioch uh, Food Ministry, and half is going to Clearinghouse for kids' backpacks and their food ministry. So will you guys help me? Uh, you're going to say amen at the end as we say a prayer for this food to go out. You ready? Dear Lord, we give you thanks for the food that is gathered here. As this communion has nourished us, may this food be sent out in your name, blessed to be your work, to nourish the sheep, the people, the brothers and sisters in this community. We thank you for the children who instigated the gathering, and we thank you for each person who shared. It is in your name that we offer this prayer, and together we say, Amen. Amen. Please remain standing and as we say what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
Before this service, we had a reception for our graduating seniors. Emmeline and Isabel went to the early service, so they're not around, but Powell is right there. So let's give Powell a round of applause for his achievement. And I know you'll all want to say congratulations to him after this service. And now, my friends, as you go, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen. The peace of Christ be with you. Yes.